Now it's recording. All right. So uh, this is the Sunday afternoon in Thailand Sangha. Kat's here with me on the porch. And uh, uh, Carl and Jesus are, Jesus are uh, in Europe someplace. Uh, so uh, what we can talk about today is basically becoming enthusiastic about the Dhamma. And there's several aspects of that. Um, the way that it's described in Sutta number 48 in the Majjhima Nikaya is that once someone figures out that the uh, Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Noble Path of the Buddha is actually the way to go, that this is the way to go uh, in our life. Uh, the, uh, the expression is uh, knowledge and vision of what is and what is not the path. And that knowledge and vision of what is and is not the path is a, is a major turning point in one's life. And it comes pretty late because it actually requires us to actually figure out what it is, the Eightfold Noble Path, that we practice it until we get good at it. And when we get good at it, we know that it's good because we've gotten good at it and we found out that this is the path of life. To wake up, take a look at what you're doing, make a positive change to it, and congratulate yourself for that change is something that needs to be repeated over and over and over and over again. And when we do that, that means that we begin to get enthusiastic for the Dhamma. And one of the examples of that would be that uh, though a monk is Ah, hi, Daniel. Hello, friends. And Pedro is back, too. Okay. Uh, we're, we're talking about uh, eagerness today. Eagerness for the Dhamma. And that, um, uh, to recap, we're talking about Sutta number 48. Uh, it's the Kasambian Sutta, where the Buddha actually lists out all, uh, he calls them seven knowledges, that arrives to the point of the sotapan. So in a way today, we're talking about what is the, the level of sotapan. What does it mean? And that um, it has actually seven knowledges to it. And we had started off with the important one, step number three. The step number three is when, without a doubt, this is the end of all doubts about what is the path and what is not the path. We know we've got the path. We have that knowledge and vision is what is and what is not the path. So we'll use that as the central point leading to the top side of it is this eagerness or enthusiasm for the Dhamma, for hearing the Dhamma spoken, we're talking about the Dhamma to other people, et cetera, like that. That there comes a time when the only thing that we care about is the Dhamma. And so one of the examples of this in the suttas is when uh, the monk is sweeping the grounds. And as he's sweeping the grounds, he's doing the sweeping. That's part of the little task that he has. But he still has his eye, his mind on the Dhamma his noble friends, and things like this. 
And the other example is, is that if a cow has a calf, she's got one eye on that calf. Though she's eating grass, she's still looking after that calf. Just like a mother hen will look after her chicks. She'll eat and she'll do all kinds of things that mother hens do, but she's looking after those chicks, okay? That's the way that we want to think about it in, in the sense of now that we know for sure that uh, this is the, the thing to do in my life, now we become really enthusiastic for it. And so I want to then, Jesus, to mention what a profound point that is, that you, you're coming to it with excitement, with ad anticipation, that you want to hear the Dhamma. Because that's certainly part of the path. Well, hello, Bhante. Glad to see you again. Right now, today, we're talking about the uh, uh, Kosambian Sutta number 48 which is the, the path where the Buddha lays out the seven knowledges that lead to the state of Sotapan. And that you showed up at just the right magic moment. Because, uh, by the way, uh, uh, Prof, what's your name again? Warapanyo. Say it again for me. Rara Panyo. Rara Panyo. Welcome, sir. Glad to have you. Uh, Jesus was mentioning that when we have these calls that he gets excited. And I changed the word from excitement into enthusiastic. That we want to hear the Dhamma. And that uh, it becomes really important in our lives. And that right now we have three gentlemen here on on screen that is proving this point that I'm making. Kath is here actually here on the porch here in, in southern Tainan to where Daniel is in a Wat now up in Chiang Mai. And the star of the show uh, is the uh, actually already ordained monk who has said sometime in his life, hey, there is not anything better to do with my life. This is it. This is what we're going to do. That's that's the proof positive right there of the knowledge and vision of what is and what is not the path because he's ready to go for it. I mean, he jumped old hog. And this is actually what that means is the stream entry or the stream enter is the one who actually jumps in. We become so enthusiastic about it. There's really nothing left in life except to just pursue this. And because and what that means is, is that we're getting value out of the Dhamma. And so uh, we've touched upon step three and uh, kind of step four and five uh, or six. The last step of this stage is not just enthusiasm and eagerness, it's also delight with the Dhamma, that we become completely delighted with it. That it's like it becomes our best friend. It's like there's nothing else. Not only is there nothing else for me, but I really, really like this. Delighted with it. And so we become delighted with the Dhamma. 
So we took only a few minutes to talk about that stage. Let's go back and talk about the early stages that lead to this. The first knowledge and the second knowledge. And then we can talk about the fourth knowledge also. So the very first knowledge that the Buddha talks about is to be able to remove the hindrances from the mind. This is the first point. That when we remove the hindrances from the mind and continue to remove the hindrances of the mind, taking the unwholesome thoughts out of the mind and putting wholesome thoughts into the mind over and over and over again, we gain a certain kind of confidence. And that confidence is expressed that no matter how obstructed the mind becomes with these hindrances, I can clean them out. I can do. This is the birth of the can-do attitude. I know that I can clean out my mind. Most beginners don't have this. They have it on the wish list. They think of cleaning the mind as hard to do. That in fact, thinking that it's hard to do makes it hard. That in fact, saying that it's hard to do is actually a hindrance itself. And so we begin to start taking on a positive frame of reference and begin to then with that develop a frame of reference that becomes an attitude, a positive attitude, a can-do attitude. And the first one is, can we remove these hindrances to the point that we know that no matter what happens, whatever situation we get ourselves into, I can stop the habitual uh, um, instinctual unwholesome behaviors that I've always gone with and do something new for a while. I can't actually handle it. Now, we're actually talking about a state that's beyond just uh, the beginner stage of getting into seclusion. When we're in seclusion, all we have to do is handle little thoughts. But when we get very good at it, then we can handle all of the unwholesome, unhappy people in the world. But in fact, uh, one analogy that I've had is uh, that uh, the world out there is kind of like a slugfest. Everybody's protecting themselves. Everybody is punching out. Everybody's in danger, et cetera, like that. And that when we get ourselves into seclusion, then we begin to recognize that all the happenings are uh, internal, but they're kind of just little slaps. We just slap ourselves with this thought and slap ourselves with that thought. And then, in fact, we can change that into stop harming ourselves. Start becoming friends with ourselves, warts and all. So that's the one part that we have to come to is to be able to handle those hindrances when we can sit the situation to make them easy to handle. But the next part is, is when we're able to go out and handle the slugs that we can get slugged around. And we can stop handle. Uh, we can handle that really well. Also, that's when we have the knowledge and vision that we can handle anything. Doesn't matter what happens. I can handle this. He knows the student knows that he's in control. That he's got that confidence. No matter what happens, I can see things the way they actually are. Uh-oh, somebody has clicked something. <laughs> Can you click it back? And so, <clears throat> you know, somebody's put it in group mode. 
me see if I can get it back. Ooh, ah. Grid view. Yeah, there we go. I got it back again. All right, so this this point that I'm uh, making about the first knowledge, actually it ends with the phrase that the student who can in fact have that confidence that no matter how much obstructions the mind has that he can remove that, that is the first step on the path. That's an important phrase. It's the first step of enlightenment. In fact, this is the step that begins what we would call uh, the path versus the fruit. So Sotapan has both a path and the fruit, and this is the first step on the path of the Sotapan is when we have the knowledge that no matter what happens, I'll be able to handle it. I'll be able to take care of it. For instance, if I want to go to the Wat, if I want to go halfway around the world to Thailand and get into a Wat, I can handle that. Because a lot of people will have that kind of thought. What, me go to Thailand? I couldn't possibly handle that. Or maybe it's even with a Goanka retreat. Oh, I couldn't handle a Goanka retreat. Or something is, here is there is tough. But in fact, Kat was just mentioning earlier today that he wants to go to a particular Wat that I actually have been to outside of Udon Thani where uh, Achan Mun was. And he says that it's uh, a wonderful experience, a wonderful Wat. I've heard really great things about it, but it's tough. It's hard. And this is that attitude that we're talking about. Uh, we have to change that attitude from it's tough, it's hard, Goenka retreats are tough. This is a mind state. In fact, the people who developed the schedule for the Goenka retreat scheduled it in order to make it look tough, to make it look hard. And then all the people who see that and all the ones who talk about it together, they will say that it's tough, that it's hard. But we could change our attitude. When we have that change of attitude, I can handle it. Then we can come up with Goenka retreat. Sure, there's nothing to it. In fact, that's the whole point of it. It's just there's nothing there to do. All we have to do is just sit and enjoy life for 10 days. But who can have that attitude when we have the attitude of life sucks? And so everything has to do about a change of attitude here. And this is that first big step on the path of the Buddha is that we have the attitude that I can clean out my own mind. Now, the second um, knowledge on the path is actually uses the word samatha in it. In other words, can we begin to deal with our restlessness? Can we actually sit down and be satisfied? Can Cat actually go to that Achan Mun Wat and be satisfied there. Daniel, can you actually go to the seclusion and be satisfied being there? But most of us are on this kind of thing with, oh, well, I'll be here for a few days and then I'm going to go uh, to a retreat at Deepapawan and then I'm going to go to a retreat in Kosamui uh, uh, or something like this. And they look for a schedule rather than saying, I'm okay where I am now. I can rest where we are. 
And when we put those two things together along with the third knowledge, which was the knowledge that we started with, uh, uh, Jesus, is can we have the knowledge and vision of what is and is not the path? What are we going to do with our life? Okay, so the first step of the knowledge that we had at the beginning was actually the beginning of the noble. To go back to that point, the Buddha says that this knowledge that we have of that can-do attitude, it's noble. It's the first step on the path. It is uh, super mundane. It's above the world because everybody wants to find something wrong with something. or find something wrong with everything. And here we're intentionally not finding anything wrong with anything. That's why it's super mundane. It's because it's above the world. And then the last point in the sutta is, is that, and this is not held by ordinary people. This is a change. It's almost what you could call the change of lineage from being a person of the world into being in the noble world. And so when we make that change, now each step that we take brings us up to this point of the knowledge and vision of this is the path and nothing else is. I know what is the path and I know what is not the path. All right, and that's the step three. This brings us up to the important one, step four. And why is the step four? Well, it's in the middle for one thing. It's like the crossing over point. Everything up till now has been an uphill journey. So this is like the top of the teeter-totter or the top of the point and that is, is then we redirect the mind to saying it is better, it is more important for me to see the dukkha so that I can fix it rather than trying to avoid it the way that an ordinary person will. In other words, this is the point in life is when we stop lying to ourselves. This is the time when we're beginning to really see everything correctly. Now in the sutta, it actually refers to it in the sense of the paddy mock where the junior monk will go to a senior monk and confess that I have done wrong. We get it out in the open. We know what we've done wrong and we're willing to admit it out loud because by doing so, that means that we're also willing to stop doing it. So everything that we come across that is unwholesome, we can now say, okay, I can see that it's unwholesome finally. Why? Because I've got the tools that I have. I built up all of those knowledge tools, and so now I can see Dukkha, and I want to see it. Before this, the loser, the unhappy person, they don't want to see the Dukkha. We've been going around, everyone here has been going around most of their lives avoiding Dukkha, only to run into it again. But when we really are able to see it, guess what? When we accept it. When we accept ourselves, darkness, foibles, everything, whatever we used to judge about ourselves, now we can see that it's okay. We accept ourselves the way we are. And when we do see the Duke come by, we're ready to do something about it, to stop. This is the real effort point, is, is that when, it's, when we really become dedicated to finding the dukkha, 
it becomes much easier to get rid of it because we know it. We could see it. We're willing to get rid of it. We're happy to do that. This is why now we begin to get very much dedicated to the path. And also we begin to develop joy because we're no longer afraid of our own darkness anymore. We're willing to deal with it openly. Now, one mistake that some people can make is, is that they'll go around confessing everything to everybody. This is not what the Buddha is talking about. In fact, he actually talks about it in the sense of one's teacher or an elder monk. So you have to know who you're going to trust with your confessions. But getting things off our chest, recognize openly all the problems and sufferings and troubles that we've made in the world, we're willing to confess them to see them openly, to recognize that the acts that we commit are actually painful and dangerous. And then we'll kind of make a mental note to stop doing those things. We'll put a bright to it. We'll put a stop to it. And so this now is what becomes the, uh, uh, the calf that the mother uh, cow is uh, keeping watch over, that we're going to keep watch over ourselves. We're going to guard ourselves to keep ourselves wholesome. We're not going to let the poor calf in our mind wander off into dukkha. We're going to start protecting ourselves, be watchful, or as they say at the West, mindful. We got to pay attention. All along, we've been paying attention that in fact, everyone at any particular moment can be at any particular stage, that these seven knowledges are not necessarily chronological directly. In other words, you do one and you do one and you do one and you do one until you're absolutely finished with it. And then you do two and then you do two and then you do two until you're absolutely finished with it. In fact, musicians don't do that. Generally, when a piano player is practicing, they'll practice three, four, five different pieces all at the same time or within the same hour. All right, so this is how we're looking at this, too, that we can look at these various stages of, can I handle this? Can I settle down? Do I know for sure that this is knowledge and vision of what the path is and what it's not? And then, hey, can I actually look at myself with enough equanimity that I can accept all of my foibles, all of my uh, wrongdoings, every mistake that I've ever made? that in fact, every mistake that you've ever made, no matter what it was, it didn't kill you. Here you are. So you survived every bad thing that you've ever done. You survived it. So why do we want to hide and and, uh, feel bad about all the bad things that we've done that we can just accept it as part of the past? Because being in the past, it's already dead anyway. The only place that it lives is in my bad attitude about it. And so let's start changing our attitude about it so that we can feel good about being on the path because we're mindful and watchful for all of the wrongdoings that we can get into. Now, when I say what is the wrongdoing, the answer is that's your choice. That's your investigation. 
That's what you have to go figure out. There's certainly a whole lot of guidelines. I mean, they've got Ten Commandments and constitutions and law books and all kinds of stuff like that. But those are only ideas. You have to go figure out for yourself what's right and what's wrong. You have to see your way through that as well as feel your way through it. Because you want to put some wisdom in there. And the wisdom is, is this causing harm or is this not causing harm? to me or anyone else. And if it is causing harm, we still accept it. We're just going to start putting the brakes on it. This is what then, by having that kind of watchfulness and mindfulness and acceptance, that's where the real enthusiasm for the Dhamma comes up. We become eager for it. We want to talk about it. We want to sing it. We want to uh, post um, smidgets of uh, suttas online. We want to start memorizing stuff and sayings that are meaningful. We really start putting some time into it, reading suttas, etc., like that. This is what we mean by becoming immersed in the Dhamma. But in fact, one of the points of this is, is that, first off, we listen to teachers. Second off, we talk to our friends. Third off, we read books or in the time of the Buddha that they would do the chants and reflecting upon the chants. And then eventually we begin to teach. Because that's when we really learn the Dhamma. We learn it by teaching it to others. And why would we teach it to others? Because we're enthusiastic about it. We're eager about the Dhamma. I would rather talk to you about the Dhamma than anything else. I mean, we could talk about Spitfires or uh, the First and Second World War airplanes, but I'd rather talk about Dhamma. I'm enthusiastic about that. And so this enthusiasm then builds up to the point that we really can't shut up about the Dhamma. That's really all that we care about anyway. And that's when we are really getting on the path. We become delighted with the Dhamma. But in that sense, we actually have to expand the Dhamma beyond our boundaries. Expanding the Dhamma beyond our boundaries means that we're not harming others, but in this case also, that we're actually being give, giving out sympathetic joy, that we start to develop metta within, acceptance and, and uh, uh, kindness within. Now we can express that metta also on the outside that we teach the Dharma, we're delighted with the Dharma. And, the, and this whole process that we're talking about now is what brings one to the state of Sotapan. This whole package to where you just can't shut up about the Dharma, that's all we've got going. <laughs> <laughs> because the, this, these three fetters that we're talking about here that bring to the, the point of the Sotapan, when we do have personality view, in other words, we are no longer selfish. Oh, I want to become enlightened. And that changes into, oh, I don't need enlightened. I just need to be happy and secure and healthy. And that can change. So the personality view changes from I can't do it into I can do it. And I can do it not for me selfishly. I can do it for humanity in general. That the best part about 
me coming out on my bad behavior is not my benefit. It's the benefit of all the people who had to put up with my bad behavior. And so the second fetter is actually the rules within which we live in. It's called the Silabhata Paramasa. And that Silabhata Paramasa actually is what defines who we are. Our rule systems define our personality in the sense of our judgments about am I good enough to meet this standard that I've set for myself? Or do I mind up setting standards so high that I always fail? And so what we can do is not only adjust who we think we are, we can also adjust the rules so that we can bring the bar down really, really low. So it's easy to succeed. It's e I mean, you set the bar, you set your own standards. Why don't you set them to the point that you can meet them? To accept yourself. And this is then where that third one comes in. Once we can accept ourselves for who we are, we can then decide we're going to change. We can change. We can change the standards. We can change the rules and we can change the ideas and we can change our attitudes. And this is what brings down that third level of beyond a doubt. I know now what the job is beyond a doubt. Knowledge and vision of what is and is not the path. And so often that third point on this Kosambian uh, uh, Sutra number 48 is where the, the point is, is that that's when the person is actually now a photopon. But again, we're talking about it in the sense of the path of the photopon versus the fruit. So the path of the photopon is that point of the knowledge and vision of what is and is not the path. And then the fruit comes in is where we're actually start looking at the dukkha all the way up to being at the point that we are delighted with the Dhamma. And now with that kind of attitude, what else can we do but hang out around other people who are in that kind of attitude about the Dhamma? That's why you guys are starting to hang out around the watch. Jesus, I hear the, or Jason, sorry, I keep saying it the way that it reads rather than the way that they say it in those countries you live in. <laughs> anyway, you're headed off to Amravati, so I hear. Uh, next, next Sunday. Excellent. Congratulations for that. Pedro, I uh, hear that you're on his coattails or somebody's. Are you about to make a decision for going off someplace? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have, a, I have a question, Damanato, if I may. Um, about, about the rules, commandments, precepts, I have a conflict about the five precepts about the intoxicants, because I sometimes I do psychedelics. I don't really see the danger in it yet. Maybe I will see it. But OK, I understand I'm, that. Let me ask you this quick question. Where in the Vinaya does the Buddha uh, prohibit psychedelics? Yeah, yeah, but uh, it, yeah, I'll bet. Okay. Yeah, I'll bet. OK, well, who did tell you that psychedelics are a no no then? Who did forbid them for you? Your mommy and daddy? How about the cops? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, well, first, first was uh, the the Goenka tradition was like a really no no, and then it's just uh, sometimes sometimes you read it 
like all kind of drugs are all kind of even coffee sometimes are intoxicants so it's like sometimes i i create there's I create no doubt. rule there's no end to the rule making now is there there's no end to it. it yeah that's ah, no, the ordinary no mind there's no end to the number of rules that they can make up all right but the rule within the dhamma <clears throat> But in fact, it's a very interesting point. Let me talk about that. We're talking about specifically the precept is. Uh, let me get it. Sura, Merya, Macha, Pamatadana, Vairamani, Sakabadam, Samatiyami. That's the fifth precept in Pali. Okay. Oh, let's start with that. Sura, Merya, and Macha are actually the old poly words for beer, wine, and spirits. It's alcohol-related. You know for sure that's the case when you actually go to this part in the Vinaya, where the, it's almost like an ancient bartender's guide to what the bartender can't do. And some of the stuff in there is uh, very interesting. One that I call, uh, my eye was what they would call a coconut tati. And the way that they're made is that you would have the, the guy or maybe a monkey in South Thailand to climb the coconut tree, take a nice coconut and stab it with a knife and then insert a reed. And then pour cow's urine in. Now, why cow's what? urine? Because the urine of cattle, cow's urine. What? Why? Because in those days, most of those uh, cattle had a yeast infection. Yeast, does that ring a bell? <laughs> and then yeast. they would. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. Yeast is a. Uh, 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 you, you've heard of yeast infections, I think. Okay, this is what the whole point of it is is they pour cow's urine. That's where the yeast comes from. And uh, you, you leave it up there for a couple of weeks. And then you take that coconut down and you suck out the, the juice that's coming out of that reed and it'll knock you over. <laughs> there is another dish that I know of that it winds up being purple looking rice dish. But if you sniff it, it is raw alcohol. OK, it is actually a fermented rice that winds up turning purple. This is back in the way where the rule actually came from because there was a, uh, a couple of monks playing a joke on an elderly monk and by going into the village and telling the visitors, oh, you're, you're very uh, happy saint that you love so much, really loves this particular dish. And so on that particular next morning, all the people in the village give that, guy, that monk this particular dish and he can't hardly get back to the boutique, <laughs> he can't walk. <laughs> and, that, and that's where this rule came from. But actually, in the paddy mock, getting drunk is a as a minor rule. It's not a major rule. Because look, I mean, uh, an example of that is getting alcohol products in a prison. Look how much trouble those guys go through to try to get uh, apples and oranges and all of that kind of stuff fermented. So it's a lot of work. The next point is, is that alcohol itself is actually a medicine. It's good for many things. It's good for stomach troubles. It's good for uh, uh, disinfecting and all of that kind of stuff. So there's not so much of a prohibition about it as most Westerners think. 
Westerners have actually been in, into, um, let us say, Protestantism way too long so that uh, they think that alcohol is a, is a big no-no. But the brain being what it is, is, well, if we're going to make rules against alcohol, why don't we make rules about other stuff too? And the, and the worst of it is um, when we have these retreats that they want to write, you to write down even the prescription drugs you're taking. They don't trust anything. I think that that more had to do with the fact that in, and sometimes years ago in the Goenka retreats that some students would actually flip out. They'd go bonkers. They would go so deep into suffering. And the Goenka staff thought it, we could blame it on the, the booze or bring it on uh, the drugs that the students were doing. Okay. Yeah, we, so, had this, we had this in, in Spain too. When I was manager of the center, we had a couple of people flipping out and we well, the, the teachers decided it was related to psychedelics yeah mm -hmm. well what but the question is is was the psychedelics in pill form or was it in a mental pill they took in other words did they talk themselves into it how can you blame the psychedelic drugs but at least yeah. you can blame them now here's the the actual point that in the uh, the suttas actually not in the suttas, in the vinaya, in the medical section, the Buddha allows for a smoking pipe. I used to be a, a kind of uh, fearful to, to bring this up in public for fear of the Westerners clobbering me on it, but I've mentioned it enough, I'll be wanting to mention it openly again. The Buddha allowed for a smoking pipe, period. In Tanisaro's translation, he couldn't bring himself to say a pipe, so he said a smoking tube. Well, what's the difference between a pipe and a tube? Does the tube have to be straight and the pipe is flexible? That's one of the possibilities. Um, but in any case, what did they smoke in the time of the Buddha? Because it wasn't tobacco. Tobacco came from the new world. This is the old world. This is India. This is where ganja and opium come from. So what did the monks smoke? I won't say what they smoked, but I'll tell you what, you have to figure out for yourself what it was that they smoked, that the Buddha gave them permission to smoke this stuff and made a prohibition against alcohol. And this was for, for, health, for health reasons? Well, uh, actually the word that translates well is heedlessness. Drunk. Okay. You see, psychedelics don't necessarily make you drunk. Ganja doesn't necessarily make you drunk. Uh, opiums don't make you drunk, but uh, processed chemicalized things do. For instance, heroin is not opium. I think that in fact it is uh, uh, opium plus battery acid or something like that. <laughs> but Whatever it is, it's not good for them because it's not natural. But it's uh, spiking up the power of it. So, uh, in that regard, I would say that each one of you can make your own decisions and your own choices rather than following the rules of uh, an organization that has other interests and goals in mind, like the Goenka trip, the retreats don't want people to freak out, and so they'll make all kinds of things uh, illegal. But the Buddha 
only uh, mentioned Sura, Maria, Macha. That's all he talked about. And Pamatadana actually means the word heedlessness, to go crazy, to go drunk, to, to not be able to stand up, uh, to look like a fool. This makes so sense in, because... Go ahead. Yeah, so yeah, I, I, I actually saw so the danger in booze, in alcohol. This was, uh, yeah, um, you behave like a crazy person. And then I, this, I don't drink since two years ago. But the fear, I had this fear of when, when, keep, when teachers said, keep the precepts, keep the precepts and you are safe. And then I was like, maybe I'm not safe now because I took this two months ago, maybe I take it again. And this makes a dot to me, dot to me. So yeah this this was the point i was asking because i don't feel like i don't see the danger yet of of, of some some psychedelics well, i right. take actually you're you're actually proving again the reason and rationale behind the precepts there is a reason and rationale behind it but guess what the buddha did not give any of those precepts the Panatapada We Ramani Sakabadam Samati Ami, the Atinadana We Sarmani Sakabadam Samati Ami, Musawada We Ramani Sakabadam Samati Ami, Surat Maria Macha Pamaptadana We Ramani is the one I mentioned there, and then the Kame Sumi Chachara We Ramani Sakabadam Samati Ami, all of those things the Buddha did not prescribe. He did not prescribe precepts. Why? Okay. And why are they so prescribed nowadays? Well, in Buddhist culture, we actually, any time that we're going to civilize our little brats, any time that we're going to get our little kids to behave themselves, we give them rules. These precepts are, are Buddhist rules that we give kids. Why do we give kids rules? It's because they can at least understand punishment for breaking the rule. They don't have the wisdom to understand the rationale behind the rule, but they at least know they're going to get their butt whacked if they break the rule. Okay, so rules are set up for people who are too stupid to see dukkha. Let me repeat that. Precepts are for children. Now in Asia, here's the point, is, is that when people uh, from the West come to the Wat, the Thai people treat the Westerners like little kids. Oh, you've got to start from the very beginning, put your diaper on and start learning these precepts. You got to keep the precepts. And I know that in the back of the minds of several of the students, they said, you can't say that the Buddha didn't give precepts. What's all of that about? So let's do go over it. Because now I'm referring to Sutta number 117 out of the Majjhima Nikaya, where the actual uh, Eightfold Noble Path is discussed, and we already say that, well, you, what about these precepts that are on the Eightfold Noble Path itself? How can you say that the Buddha didn't give precepts, right? There you are, with right speech, right action, and right livelihood, right and then yeah. they slam the door in my face and says, ha-ha, we won, until they read the sutta about it. And here's where it comes in. Is, is that when we're practicing the Eightfold Noble Path correctly and the sense of the starting point comes with right view to be able to investigate, to look, to see what's going on, 
backed up by remembering to do so, and then making a change for the better, and then congratulating ourselves over and over and over again. And by doing these things, we draw together the functions and features of what we would call samadhi or samadhi mind, the mind that is unified, organized, noble, doesn't want anything, satisfied, right? We got that, all right? Here's one of the reasons that we can say that he's noble is because he's willing to tell the truth. He's not afraid of the truth. You see, ordinary people who are scattered, they'll lie. Oh, I've got a rule against pissing on your foot, so therefore I didn't piss on your foot. When in fact, everybody in the room knows. <laughs> they can still see the damn thing leaking. <laughs> but we go into a state of denial about it. So... If if we can get the mind into a noble state and we don't want anything, then we're also not full of doubt. That an ignoble mind is full of doubt about, am I practicing correctly? Well, what about this precept? Or why did you give me precepts when I was a kid? Or any of this kind of stuff. But when we have a noble mind, we recognize that, oh, everything puts together so beautifully. Everything is just fine. Now, at this point, we can introduce the precepts in the sense that when you don't want anything, you're unlikely to kill someone to get it. When you don't want anything, you're unlikely to harm someone by taking things away from her or molesting the poor girl or telling lies or doing any of the false speech. Then, in fact, you're not heedless. You're heedful. So now we're talking about why should we give standards and rules to kids that they can't live up to and then they feel bad. Instead, what we can do is teach the child through wisdom that this is dangerous, this is unwholesome, and let the kids figure it out for themselves. But oh no, we give them a set of rules saying, oh, you got to play it our way. You'll never figure it out on your own. And so this is where the precepts actually come from, is what the mind is going to be like after it's already wholesome. When the mind is already unified and noble, then we don't tell direct lies. We don't gossip about other uh, Western meditation teachers. <laughs> we, we, <laughs> we don't... Um, uh, uh, speak in frivolous ways like attachments and things like this uh that we keep the uh, uh the speech on the dhamma and so unwholesome spe speaking we don't do when we're in a noble state of mind and then naturally the livelihood is going to follow on the Buddha in fact talks about it in the sense of buying and selling now the phrase buying and selling is stuck together in the sense of manufacturing goods, putting them in stock, uh, uh, selling them, and then moving them out of stock, buying and selling, buying and selling. Well, we're, that's what our normal culture is all about. You sell your time to the boss, and he buys it with your uh, paycheck. And so in a way, having a job does not fit up to the mind of a noble, a, mind, a, a noble would not work for someone. Why should he? He can find something better to do. That having a job is not noble. It's something that ordinary people do out of fear. 
but the noble is fearless. He doesn't need a job. He doesn't need to buy and sell. He doesn't need to do anything. He can go hang out, Daniel. He can go hang out in the back of somebody's what? Until he gets restless enough to want to leave. Unless he's willing to deal with his restlessness. That was classic when Eric was saying that he was stuck up in a what in uh, 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 Laos. And he says, oh, this what is not challenging enough for him. Not enough stimulus, restlessness, you can hear it. And my answer to that is, oh, being not challenged is quite a challenge for you, huh? And he got it. He figured that one out immediately. Oh, why am I being dissatisfied and unhappy living in a want that doesn't mm. expect anything from me? There's no buying and selling, no bartering, no trading going on here. So this is where the precepts come from, is ordinary people lifted out this noble mind state, put it into a poly chant, and gave it to the children because they were too stupid to figure out that they were happy they wouldn't harm people. So, Jesus, can you be happy enough not to harm people? Then you're oh, already yes. keeping the precepts. All right. Okay, yeah. that's a relief. <laughs> <laughs> that's a relief. Actually, it was is is okay. Now that's pretty clear. It says it, it, it was a lot of smoke in my head about this. That's nice. Yeah, it's very nice now. Thank you. Yeah. Yes, very good. Daniel, how about you? Are you going to be able to hang out in the back of that watt and just enjoy life? Or are you going to get restless for some entertainment or some challenge or something? You read my mind when you were just saying that. And, uh, actually, uh, what I'm having trouble with is um, not so much not having any entertainment. But what I get a lot is that uh, I, I still feel like I need to take care of things back home. Like I think mm -hmm. uh, I need to message uh, this and that person or call that and that person because they haven't heard anything from me in a while and they are going to be worried that something's up and it's weird if I don't say anything and uh, All right. stuff like that. Here's and what I, I would recommend. Okay, this is the recommendation for you is every one of those people that you can think of, think of them all at one time and write either a mass mail or, or something and get it all off your chest. Talk to your granny, talk to your wife, talk to your girlfriend, talk to your aunt, talk to your uncle, talk to the girl down the street, talk to the postman, talk to your daddy, everybody. Send them all saying, hey, I'm going back to the back of the watt and I'm not going to be around for a while. And that's step one the unimportant one because that's the one that takes care of not giving other people dukkha now take that cat of yours into the <laughs> back of the watt and forget all about the people at home that are on that email list let it go then in fact the way to talk about it um uh you're from denmark right uh netherlands netherlands okay yeah. While you're in the back of the Watt, don't think about the Netherlands. The Buddha talks about that. Don't think about elephants. <laughs> Can you stop thinking about elephants? Even when I'm talking about elephants, can you stop thinking about elephants? 
when I start thinking about their uh, talking about their ears and their trunks and big fat feet that they have and how the tail is like a rope and all of that. Don't think about elephants. You're in the back of that what? Don't think about the Netherlands. Get it out of your mind. Every time a thought of Netherlands comes up, ah, no, I'm going to stay here for a while. I'm going to be in this what? They're all taken care of. I'll handle it. Now can I handle this restlessness? Because guess what? That restlessness is going to be there on day one. <laughs> the first day you're in the seclusion, you're going to want out of it. <laughs> you, mean, you mean the restlessness from back home or like in general? In general. In fact, it's not yeah. just general. It is the restlessness that is part of our nature. The reason why we have a self-preservation uh, um, instinct is because things are dangerous in the world and always has been. When we lived in the jungle life before cities and whatnot, it was still dangerous. So that restlessness comes actually out of a sense of deep, deep fear. Sorry, it's funny that you mentioned this because uh, people at my what, they just told me that I have to be on the lookout because a tiger escaped from his cage. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I missed that. Can you say it again, please, for me? Well, actually, a tiger has escaped from his cage nearby. Uh huh. <laughs> so, so they're telling me to be on the lookout. Because, yeah, uh, but don't don't go <laughs> freak out. Just be. I mean, uh, look for tigers so that you can become friends with them. You'll be the first tiger boy in Thailand. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, be on the lookout, not on the freakout. <laughs> Believe me, the tiger will think you're not tasty at all. You're too salty. <laughs> the 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 Thai the Thai tigers they prefer Thai people because they're uh, spicy, not salty. <laughs> <laughs> so there's nothing to worry about. No worries. Yeah. So, in that regard. No tigers, no Netherlands, no nothing, except that I'm okay right now. I don't have to get up and go anywhere right now. I'm okay. Find a way to settle down, to settle in, and be okay with this present moment. Because you're going to be out in the Thai forest. There are marvelous places to hang out. You're going to be in a paradise, and you know it. That Netherlands comes to mind. You'd rather think of the Netherlands than the paradise you're actually in. You create your hell and call it Netherlands. Actually, it's, it has been quite nice here. Like uh, so far, I've really enjoyed it. Just having a place for myself. Like I can really tell that when there's like literally nothing to do, then yeah, it becomes very easy to practice and to just hang out. And also, I've got the, the suttas with me, so I've been reading through the suttas. And that, uh, that's really helpful, too, because yeah, with you, we discuss... It keeps your things. mind on the Dhamma. Here's two yeah. ways to read the suttas. One is to read the suttas feeling very, very satisfied, sometimes elated and um, uh, enthusiastic and even delighted with the Dhamma. But the other way, which is the way that most people read it, is, is there's got to be something in here someplace. They're in a state of wanting. They're in a state of desire. They're not in a state of enjoying the Dhamma as it is. 
they're looking for enlightenment rather than getting a load out of how nice it is without it. That in fact mentality is what brings about scholars and translators. If you really got the Dhamma, you don't need to write it down. You just sing it. So that's the way that we can look at it. Don't become a scholar. Don't spend all of your time in the sutras. And in fact, while you're there, I would recommend that uh, you take only one book. But in fact, perhaps the one that I would recommend would be the Majjhima Nikaya, except that that's way too much. I mean, you could spend three months just reading that book and nothing else and still not finish with it. So maybe just take, you know, tear the book in about 10 sutras or maybe 15 sutras and take only that much. Take only a few sutras with you and go over and I'm over and in. over. Huh? I'm what? already 20, 20 sutras in, in the Majjhima That's the uh, book I brought. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I know what that's like, but take it easy. Don't spend your time in seclusion just reading and reading and reading and reading, though that's really wholesome until it's too much. I've been paying careful attention that I don't start reading because I'm restless. So I mm -hmm. only do it uh, just because I enjoy it. Enjoy, and, enjoy. Yeah, and, but uh, I also, when I see that I'm restless and I want to read the suttas, then I first start practicing or just hang out, do nothing. And when I feel wholesome again, then I look again. Do I still want to read the suttas? If I Excellent. still want to read it, then I do it. You got the plan, Stan. Go for it. <laughs> All right. Did we get everything covered that needs to be covered about coming uh, to the Dhamma? with enthusiasm, like they ain't nothing else to do except live the Dhamma, read the Dhamma, speak the Dhamma, listen to the Dhamma. That's all there is. And when you come to that point, you're in it. Not sitting on the side of the lake saying, I wish I could go and jump in the lake. It's when you're up to your neck in the lake, you say, hey, wait a minute, I'm in the lake now. That's the way to look at it. Don't come in from the position of I want in, that I want to be a Buddhist or, or a Sotapan or anything like that, rather than when you're up to your neck in it, now you know. Mm. This is it. That I can see the dukkha. I can throw it out. I don't have to remorse over it. I can just have a happy ball about, look at that, I see that. What a freak I am. So what? <laughs> I do have a question about that because um, when you're when you say we have to accept ourselves the way we are, like all the darkness and stuff, isn't yeah? I, I don't really see. Shouldn't we change our perspective about the darkness because then it's not really dark. Yeah, Simon so, Garfunkel had it right on when they said, "Hello, darkness, my old friend." Yeah. Start looking at yourself wholesomely, not as something that needs to be fixed, but something that's really adorable, so adorable that you've had the fur rub off. <laughs> See yourself as something really adorable. It's just not perfect. 
and that you can pick the nits off of them one at a time because now we're willing to look at the nits that we've got. Instead of saying, I hate myself because of all those problems, but I don't want to look at them. Now we're going to look at them wholesomely, happily, and say, ah, I see you. But in fact, that was the statement of the Buddha. When he was in Bodh Gaya, when he was figuring it out, the statement came around, aha, I see you, Mara. And that whole idea of, aha, I see what the problem is, gave rise to the entire teaching of Paticca Samapada, the Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Noble Path. It all hinges around that point. Aha, I see the problem. But I see it not as a problem, but something that I can see. It was a problem until I could see it. Now that I can see it, it's not a problem at all. There's nothing to it once we can see it. So keep looking. Keep remembering to look. And it's okay to find a bunch of crap. A good example of that, by the way, back to the, the, the Goenka retreats, is that Goenka has the phrase, never mind, start again. When the mind wanders away from the breath, never mind, start again. Why is that? Because the students don't never mind. When they see the mind wander away from the breath, they'll stab themselves in the chest, they'll flog themselves with, I mean, they'll take razors out and cut themselves up mentally. They hate it that they can't keep the mind on the breath. And that's not the instructions. It's, aha, I see that the mind's off the breath. Let me go jump back on the train. Let me start again. Rather than beating myself up. Be happy that you can see every darn bad thing about you. Because it was you making some stupid rule that made it bad anyway. Just see it, in fact, as it is without making a rule about it. The warts are okay. It's only the reason the problem is, is that because you've been told not to like it. Therefore, you don't like it about yourself. So set that rule aside, lower that standard so that you can say what I have done in my life, at least I survived it. And we can go from there. I've survived. I'm still alive. It didn't matter what I did in the past. I survived. <laughs> I mean, that's a joyful thing to say. Wow, I made it all the way to here. <laughs> and you guys, you're you're a whole lot better than I am. I mean, it took me 78 years to get here, and, and you guys don't take near so long. <laughs> This moment, here we are, and that's all that matters, is, is that we've made it. So we can congratulate ourselves for our past. Never mind how bad it was, the badness is because I've judged it that way. If I stop judging myself and accept myself the way that I am, now from now on, we can start looking for the dukkha and avoid it. Rather than having later remorse about what we're doing now, now we're having remorse about what we used to do. Well, let's stop having the remorse about what we used to do and start being mindful so later we won't be remorseful about what we're doing now. It's that easy. <laughs> Wake up and love yourself. Enjoy your life. And then, because we know that we're getting such benefit out of it, we say, hey, wait a minute. Why am I keep working for the slaver? 
why am I keep working for GM or that corporation when I could sit down and do nothing and enjoy the heck out of it? Daniel, you're in training. Can you sit there in the back of that watt and do nothing and actually enjoy it? Or are you going to start thinking about what you can do in the Netherlands? That's your challenge is can you put up with no challenges? Uh, it depends on what time of the day you ask me. <laughs> That's true. That's absolutely Sometimes. true. Every morning you're gung ho. Where's that food? I'm on bend about. I love it. I love it. I love it. In the afternoon is so hot. I want out of here. Where's my aircon? <laughs> and then the evening again. Oh, it's cool, and I'm in paradise again. <laughs> yeah, be careful of the hot afternoons. Well, actually, it's quite cool here because it's like on the on the top of a mountain. So, uh, yeah, it's really good for foreigners. Mm-hmm. Right, um, not so hot. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that's yeah, great, well, guys. Yeah. Um, I do have one question, uh, if, if you don't mind. One more, okay. Uh, so, with the with the breeding, um, do you recommend like following it? from the nose down the throat like all the way to the stomach sorry okay here are many many different little techniques about the breathing it's actually in the vasudhi maga where we get the idea that it's supposed to be the nose tip but in fact the Pali talks about a cave or a cavern and to me like caves and caverns on the planet earth they have holes that people can go down to, which would be called the nose. But there's an entire cavity in there. There's the entire breathing process, what they call the breath body. Okay, and that's what we're going to relax. I would go ahead and say just as a teaser that the uh, keeping the mind uh, focused at the nostrils is part of the technique of going into second jhana, and you're not needing that right now. What you really need to do is to relax the body, which is part of Anapanasati stage four. So whatever breathing techniques you're doing, the object is, is to experience the body and to relax the body, to find out where any of those tensions are. They'll come up, by the way, and when you're out in seclusion. And so relax the body. That's much more important than any of the later techniques about chasing the breath, following the breath, uh, resting at the nostrils, all of that kind of stuff is for deeper practices. Now, maybe in that three month period, you're ready for doing that, but you'll know that for yourself. And here's the way that you can tell. When you get the mind to the state that you know for sure that you have one wholesome thought after another wholesome thought after another wholesome thought after another wholesome thought with no gaps of unwholesome thoughts in there anywhere. That's when you can then begin space or put gaps between the thoughts. That will help you to go into the second jhana, but you need to really establish the first jhana solidly by having nothing but wholesome thoughts one after another. So you go back to the point of it depends upon what time of day it is. The answer is when you can go all day long with those wholesome thoughts 
and not one thought of I want out of here or what do I do next or where can I find a motorcycle magazine to read. <laughs> that was mine, by the way. I had a motorbike magazine. <laughs> okay. Or reading the suttas. But when you can just sit there and just rest and keep resting and keep resting, then you can actually begin to take a rest from all that wholesome thoughts that you're doing, because that takes a little bit of effort. Can you rest from that by putting gaps between those thoughts? And that's when you'll take the mind down to just one point, which you could focus on just the breathing in and out of the nose. This is where the, the mantra um, Budo comes in very handy. And up in the northeast part of Tainan, you'll probably find a lot of people who know about Budo with boo on the in-breath, do on the out-breath. And when you bring the nose tip down to that point on the end of that doe, then the mind will quieten down so much that you'll recognize that, hey, wait a minute, the mind has stopped. And then the yippee-ki-yay, the mind has actually stopped. But in order to do the yippee-ki-yay, the mind has gotten to start up again. And so you do it again and come back to you can get beyond the yippee when you get down to the second jhana, which means that you now know that the mind is stopped and that you can keep that stop going. Okay, but that's so, a later practice. Don't try to think you're going to do that the first day you're out there. This is I, something. Go ahead. I, uh, I'm just uh, I'm not really interested in second jhana yet. I'm just talking for first jhana. Like, is there anything else? Because I've been trying to do like the following of the breathing. Um, yeah, put in the gladness. Yeah, I can follow the breathing. Wow, look at that nose. I can <laughs> see that nose. That's that's a Rudolph Reindeer nose. What a shiny <laughs> nose this is. Yeah. But well, hello, uh, Anna. Good to see you. Glad that you joined. You joined about an hour late, but <laughs> glad to see you. Go ahead, Daniel. So uh, what would you recommend for someone uh, practicing to get into first jhana, sustaining it? What kind oh, of? Over and over, the first thing we do is remove those unwholesome thoughts. Every downer thought, every I need a challenge, every uh, what can I get out of the sutta, every negative thought that you have, that you see that thought and change it around. Okay, it's a very simple practice, and then the most part, people can get it. We can say, yeah, I have wholesome thoughts, and then they say, well, what about when granny dies? And we say, have a thousand wholesome thought, and they say, yes, but what about the dog dies? I'm going to feel, but no, you don't. You always look on the bright side. You can do that. Whatever it is that happens, whatever it is that comes up, can you keep a positive attitude about it? That's your first job. So you don't do anything with the breathing, just a really long deep breathing. As long as you're paying attention to what you're doing right now and playing with it, there's no solid object that you have to take. But rather playing with it, always staying in the wholesome, because the always staying in the wholesome has that quality of the jhana of applied and sustained thought. Keep coming back to the wholesome, applying it, and keep sustaining it and sustaining it and sustaining those wholesome thoughts. That can-do attitude. That brings about the pity and the sukha 
the the sukkah, by the way, is being out in the woods there, and never mind that there's a tiger, I still feel safe. So you feel safe, satisfied, content, and then uh, and comfortable, and you keep with that satisfaction that this is good enough. That's the sukkah. The wow, the um, uh, the pity comes from the knowledge of the success that you could do that. Wow, I can do this. Wow, I can clean out my mind. Or there's also that wow of the second jhana of wow, I've gotten the mind to stop. Wow, this is so good. So always stay in that positive. That's going to develop the first jhana for you over and over and over again. Why? Because any joyful thought that you have that's not actually joyful is a hindrance to being joyful. Yeah, I thought we need to use the breathing also to calm the mind down first and then. Well, you calm it down with wholesome thoughts. Don't try to calm it down directly. That's what the Mahasi people do. That's why they wind up in the dark night of the soul rather than being in bliss. You have to make that change. You can't just calm the mind. You got to put a happy load on it. Until you can get one happy wholesome thought after another, after another, after another. Don't go for the calm. That's the second jhana. When you've gotten the mind so calm that it stopped. Don't try to get that directly. That's cheating. You have to go through the wholesome first. If you cannot change your mind to be wholesome, how could you possibly change it to be uh, uh, to be quiet immediately? Hindrance, 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 and you say shut up, and you're still hindrance, 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 like a baby. You got to get a baby to go to sleep. You don't yell at the baby to shut up. What you do is you sing him a lullaby. You get the baby into a happy state, and then the baby will go to sleep. But here you are in hindrance saying, shut up, mind, shut up. I'm not, not, not going to happen. <laughs> no, you got to see yourself a lullaby. You got to be nurturing. You got you get yourself into the second or into the first jhana where you're really, really happy. Every thought is a happy thought. Every thought is a wholesome thought. One wholesome thought after another is actually a reference out of Sutta number 19, which, by the way, has the name two kinds of thoughts. Wholesome thoughts and unwholesome thoughts. And you're going to get one wholesome thought after another, after another, after another to whack those unwholesome thoughts out of here, boy. Whack those unwholesome thoughts, get them out of here. That's the story of the the cow herd. That the cows got to get the cow herds got to get the cows out of the um, uh, the city, out of the um, um, the the grocery stalls where the cows could steal carrots. And the cow herd will whack those cows to keep them out of danger. But once the cows are out of the um, uh, the marketplace, out into the pasture, now's the time for the cow herd to relax. He doesn't have to stand with those cows whacking their mind. He could go sit down under a tree. This is then the analogy of the first jhana is getting the mind out there to where it's in the wholesome place of being in the pasture. And then the mind 
can sit down under the tree and rest. That's the second genre. But first, you got to get those wholesome thoughts. You got to put the effort in it. One wholesome thought after another, under another. And you're in the ideal place to do that because you're dealing with one of those major hindrances of restlessness as well as doubt. Why am I here? Wow, how much money I could make an hour if I went back to the United States. That was a recurring thought that I would have. Every time I'd have the thought, I'd be a higher rate. Oh, I bet I could make $50 an hour by the end of that. Oh, I bet I could make $100 an hour if I leave this lot and go back to work. <laughs> All of those doubts. And then they'll recognize, hey, I'm just not practicing correctly. If I practice correctly, I would enjoy where I am now instead of worrying about something else. This is where I'm giving you the easy to remember thing. Don't think about anything that has anything to do with the Netherlands. No people, no thoughts, no uh, uh, sights to see, no grocery stores, no girls, nothing. Anytime those thoughts come in, you can throw them out and say, hey, I'm having too much fun here. This is the paradise. Why should I think about my own hell? Mm hmm. And you keep into those wholesome thoughts one after another until you know that you've got it down, that you can spend a few days without any unwholesome thoughts at all. Now is the time to put some gaps in those thoughts to make it even easier on yourself. It's hard enough to have those hindrances, but when you got down to only wholesome thoughts, you see that that's a lot of work too. Maybe I could just do nothing really and stop even thinking and just really enjoy. That's when we really get it easy. Is by stop thinking about anything. But you can't do that from hindrances. You just can't. You got to give yourself a lullaby to sing yourself into no thought. I was just uh, kind of confused because you always talk about taking a long, deep breath. So, yeah. Well, isn't that relaxing? Is, aren't we talking about relaxing? I don't see that it's out of, out of whack at all. But yeah, that's why I asked about uh, the breathing. When you say don't, don't, do, don't focus on the breathing. So it's don't, more like a Oh, no, let me put it this way. Put it into context. Don't worry about the breathing. Play with it. Make it a toy. Make it your uh, friend. Because I worry stop going about right. You're stop making rules to follow that then you worry about and have doubt over. Instead, start to play with it, enjoy it, relax. Everything is already okay. Nostrils, yeah, they're okay. Back of the throat, yeah, that's good. Down into the chest, yeah, that's marvelous too. Everywhere around, it's okay. Good enough. No, so it makes sense. Thank you. All right. Great. I'm glad <laughs> you got that one. All right, guys. Well, this has been a, quite a, uh, a journey today. I've really enjoyed it. Uh, Jesus, do you have anything to add? No, it's, it's the, I, I, I'm so delighted. I'm so delighted. This was like, um, I'm, I'm high on Dukaniroda now. <laughs> I feel so energetic and, and, mm -hmm. and nice now. All right. <laughs> Hey, Kat, Thank you. how about you? We started this conversation before the call started. <laughs> so, Pedro, how about you? Do you have anything to add? 
Uh, I'm sorry, I was muted because uh, I thought I found uh, a safe place and they set up a party 10 meters near me. <laughs> I thought it was safe to listen to the call here, but uh, he started the music. <laughs> but uh, I enjoyed all the call and uh, I will add that also there is uh, enthusiasm and sometimes even tears. Uh, <laughs> Yes, of uh, like a soft hug from uh, the results of the practice. Mm. And when I hear something, also nice tears comes. <laughs> okay. Yes. Are you are you planning on uh, uh, take, checking out Amravati or ha are you coming to Thailand? Have you made your mind up yet? Uh, I, ca I can't uh, go, unfortunately, to Amravati and to Thailand for this uh, year. Maybe Amaravati, I will manage 15 days, but uh, right now I'm in South Italy and I'm planning to go to a Thai forest uh, tradition in Rieti, which is in the center of Italy. Yes, yes, you don't have to do much travel. You've got good watch right there in Italy. You've got forest right there in Italy. You've got a bedroom right there in Italy. You're okay right where you are in Italy. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we'll hear what you have to say about it when I'll be interested in what you find out about the watch in Italy. Okay. Excellent. So, Anna, you joined us late. How are you today? Hey, hello. Hey. Yeah. I'm glad to join. I'm sorry I'm driving, <laughs> but I just wanted to join and, you know. I'm glad you did. You came in very late, but we've, we've had fun. You might want to listen to the rest of the video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. That was nice anyway. Thank you. Great. So, Pra, you, I have the word Rob. Is that is that your name? Is that what we call you as Pra Rob? What do you prefer to be called? So you can call me, you can call me Pante Warapanyo. Pante Warapanyo. 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 Right. What does the Wara mean? I've got the Panyo down. The Vara, Vara is the highest, greatest, brightest. Oh, may you have the greatest wisdom. Thank you, and, and thank you so much for your, your sharing and your very stable, coherent insight that you are giving out. Much appreciated. Well, thank you for the compliment. Yes, this is Dhamma, as best I can figure it out. But I had a lot of help. I had Bhikkhu Buddha Das and Achan Po for teachers, so I think I'm... But I appreciate that you're uh, giving that feedback. Thank you. Coming to the end of it, 78 now. Health is failing, but the attitude is still bright. <coughs> I hope to see you all again. Thank you very yes, much. Thank you. thank you. Thank you very much. We'll see you all. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. See you. Bye, everyone. See you. Uh,